Hello, everyone, and welcome to this, the 16th edition of the Modern Woodworkers Association Online Blathering. It's the online discussion about all things woodworking, and I'm Tom Iovino of Tom'sWorkbench.com, and I'll be your host of this program. Joining us today on our shaky connection from Hotlanta, Georgia, the home of Coca-Cola and home of the 1996 Olympics, um, we have uh, Chris Atkins. Chris, welcome. Chris, are you there? Our connection is shaky. Okay. We're going to move on past Chris right now, and we're going to move to the next one, who just joined us, actually, because his connection's been kind of shaky as well tonight. Uh, from sunny New York is Diami Plotky of the penultimate workshop, woodshop.com. Welcome, Diami. How are you doing today? Good evening, Tom. Doing a little better. I think I have video now, and I apologize for having kicked Chris out. Yeah, it's kind of been a shaky night here with the technology, but we're hoping to keep moving ahead here. Chris, by the way, welcome. Chris? Thanks, Tom. Okay, can you hear good. me now? Yeah, we can. We can hear you plenty good. Okay, thanks a lot. And finally, the guy with the most solid connection of all, from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, is Nick Rouleau of Mansfield Fine Furniture. Nick, how do you do it? How do you manage to keep that connection solid? I think you spoke too soon. I, I have a feeling I'm about to get dropped here any minute now. So, just keep our fingers crossed. Okay, we'll we'll go on with a with a wing and a prayer and a string and a couple of cans if we have to. Um, so we're back, and you know one of the things we're getting ready for right now, um, and it's coming up this week, as a matter of fact, is Woodworking in America, uh, the West Coast edition. And two of our hosts, Chris and and Nick, are going to be going out there to uh, to Pasadena to um, to do a couple of things out there. Um, guys, what's going to be happening out in Pasadena, and how are you guys helping make it a better event? We are we're going to be helping out with the Hand Tool Olympics. Matter of fact, we're going to be hosting the Hand Tool Olympics out in Pasadena. Um, you know, Mike um, w- was not able to make it out with Mike Simpson, um, just so you know. Oh, we dropped them, Nick. You still oh, there? Yeah, yeah. Well, keep going. So Mike Simpson couldn't make it, right? Yeah, Mike Simpson uh, from S uh, Society for American Period Furniture Makers, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and maybe somewhere place else. I can't recall off the top of my head. Uh, he's going to be in the Cincinnati WIA, but he wasn't going to be able to make Pasadena, so we stepped up and decided what would WIB without a hand to Olympics. So, um, yeah, we're going to be putting it on. It's going to be going Saturday. Uh, Friday and Saturday from eleven to three. Uh, so stop by, have your have your uh, your best efforts, and best tries at dovetailing, ripping, all sorts of fun stuff. Now, the best part about the hand tool Olympics is, you know, there's a lot of competition. There's a lot of joking around and all that other stuff. But if you're new to hand tool woodworking and you want to get your your hands in there and make some sawdust. The people who are there are really talented hand woodworkers, and they really offer a lot of assistance. This isn't just, you know, kind of heckling people. This is actually kind of a, a great experience for people to get exposed, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, since, Tom, you're not going to be in Pasadena, the heckling will be at a minimum. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'm Everybody's saving up for who's going to be in Cincinnati. Yeah, no, it's it's an excellent opportunity, for especially for people who – uh, who've never tried it before? It's a nice, supportive uh, environment. I think where everybody, you know, who knows how to do it, will help you out and and show you the ropes. And you know, you can also try your hand against some of the best people out there. Mm-hmm. We're, gonna see, we're gonna see how many of the of the uh, instructors and, and the pros we can get to to come and compete and see what they can do. Yeah, you know, I can't remember who was there last year. I think it was Rob Crossman. Um, was was trying to do the hand cut dovetails, and uh, Mike Simpson handed him a hacksaw. 
um, a sharpened screwdriver, uh, two by four uses a mallet. I think it was just a, the, I think maybe the entire value of his of his uh, of his hand tool kit was maybe like eight or nine bucks. And uh, man, those dovetails fit tight. Yeah. And uh, you know, again, it, it's it's not the, it's not the cost of the saw, the cost of the tools you have. It's it's what you're doing with them and how you use them that makes all the difference. So so definitely, you know, get out there, learn from some of the best in the field. I mean, you'd be surprised who has these skills and you know who can help you point you in the right direction. Yeah, I yeah. think that's accurate. Okay, so what else is going on at WIA West? I mean, you know, not only will there be the classes and there'll be the hand tool Olympics in the marketplace, but you guys are seeing some really cool areas, aren't you? Uh, there's there's a handful of trips going on and some individuals who are, are just going to go and, and visit the sites as well. On the Friday night, I believe, there's the Gamble House Tour. Mm. Um, for those not familiar, it's a, a green and green house um, replete with... I mean, everything from floor to ceiling is green and green. It, it should be a good time. Um, I guess they're having dinner in the gardens there and a tour of the house. So it should be it should be pretty amazing, and we'll be sure to post a lot of pictures on our site. Yeah, I mean, that's just, you know, and you hear that, you know, there's these woodworking destinations you have to go see if you're a woodworker. Um, you know, the Gamble House is right up there along with some of the other places, Hancock Shaker Village. And, you know, anybody who's out there and, and who can get a chance to get out to Pasadena, definitely worth a tour. I'm pretty excited, even though I'm not a Green and Green fan per se. Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things you just have to see to, to take all in and, and, you know, take what you can from it. Um, I know Chris Chris is a big Green and Green fan, though. I am. No, I'm 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 pretty excited about. That was one of the things I was really excited about going out there is because, uh, you know, it, it's a lot of that green and green and, and kind of craftsman kind of renal silent. So, uh, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about going out to it. Yeah, that whole exposed joinery thing and just the really strong lines. It's just you know definitely if if you haven't had a chance to see right. any of it, and I mean this is the epicenter. I mean the Gamble House is pretty much the epicenter where um where if you're going for green and green that arts and crafts movement, wow. I mean that's definitely the place to go. So without a doubt, that's that's definitely what everyone want to see. What else is going to be going on out there, guys? And, and, I mean, yeah, the big event. Well, the big events actually on Saturday night, um, and I'm not referring to the feast of what's it called? Feast of Feast of Old Moxonians, something about eating old woodworkers. No, no, just kidding. Guys, we're not we're not cannibals, please. We're the fine young what? cannibals. We're right, guys in the 1980s. Uh, where, where's the cricket sound when you need it, right? <laughs> uh, we're hosting our annual, I guess we're having two this year, but our annual Woodworking in America, Modern Woodworkers, what's the term for it? Hoedown. It's a Meetup, hoedown. It could be a hoedown. I suppose it's a hoedown. Uh, it'll be at Lucky Baldwin's Pub on uh, a couple blocks over from the convention center on Saturday night. Um, we're going to be opening up the place around 6, 6.30 and going until the last person leaves or they kick us out. Should be a good time. If you need more information on that, it's posted on our website. There's also yeah. information about it on the Modern Woodworkers, Modern Woodworkers Association Google Plus page, right, Nick? Uh, yes, we've we put out an event. If you're not a, if you haven't circled the Modern Woodworkers Google Plus page, do that, and you'll get all the invitations right to your mailbox. Um, but yeah, there's an event posting there that you should be able to find. The advantage of the event, which I would encourage everyone to partake in, is if you have Google Plus, ex- uh, say yes to the event in Google Plus, and allow uploads so that all the pictures everyone takes will all be commonly shared on the Modern Woodworkers Association Google Plus page. That'll make for a nice documentation of the event. And there are yeah. a lot of pictures that get taken at these events. Yes, there are. If Some you're not, 
And one thing I want to say, too, I mean, I got kicked out a minute ago again, so I, I didn't get to uh, – but, you know, this is pretty exciting. I mean, we're going out there for another event like this, and, you know, just the event itself is just, I mean, a ton of information. You know, there's there's so much in these classes. There's so many just great, phenomenal woodworkers that are teaching these classes and stuff out there that you just learn so much from. And then just, you know, the just going to the marketplace. I mean, all these just um, – you know, these tool manufacturers and stuff, there's just some great things in there. And for us, to me, it's, it's very exciting that we get to be a part of this and that, that we're going in there. And, uh, you know, it, it, not, not that we have much to offer, but just the pack that we can get in there. And, you know, the whole thing with, with modern woodworkers is, is for, for most of us, it's, it's, it's being able to share and advance woodworking and stuff like this. So, so it's pretty exciting that we can go in there and, and share some stuff and, you know, and, and sit down and kind of help some people in the hand tool Olympics and, uh, and just see what some other people have to do. I mean, I, you know, I, I gotta say, I think, I mean, I'll learn as much myself is, is, you know, I hope anybody else gets out of it. So, uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. And Chris, you know, you do mention the marketplace, and, you know, uh, there are some things that are going to be taking place at the Pasadena edition that aren't going to be taking place in the Cincinnati edition. One of them is our former guest, Ron Hawk. Um, you know, whew, he's going to be there on the floor. He won't be able to make Cincinnati this year, but, you know, he's got, you know, you could just sit and watch him work with his tools, and you can sit there and watch him just talk about blade technology. And Wow, I mean, you could, you could learn a whole four, a whole incredible amount of stuff there just just doing that and that's the best no part that's about exactly that. right yeah and that's great you know we, we've talked to, to to ron and linda a couple of times about them them being there and, and i'm pretty excited about just sitting down with them and talking a little bit because i mean just great people and just you know a phenomenal amount of, of information you can pick up just going by there and talking to them so uh we're, we're definitely excited about that so again if you are going to be doing anything this weekend um, and you, you down near Pasadena, South, uh, Southern California, where here it never rains. Um, be sure to swing by Woodworking in America. Definitely, uh, definitely take it in. Um, if you missed that opportunity and you're still interested in Woodworking in America, there's also the Cincinnati one, which is coming up the first full weekend in November. And Diami and I will be there at that one. So, um, you know, that'll be very similar to last year's event. It'll be the uh, right there in Covington, Kentucky, right across the river from uh, from Cincinnati. And, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of fun stuff to see there as well. So, you know, we're looking forward to talking about that later when we get up to that point and head on up for that. And if you haven't booked for either event, we'd encourage you to do it sooner than later. Do it online. And please, when you register, use ModernWW as your affiliate code. We'd really appreciate the help. It'll help us out a lot. It won't cost you a penny more. Definitely help this uh, help this organization keep going and, and spreading the word about um about woodworking and, and getting online and getting together and uh, and building that camaraderie. Um, so now there, let's talk about what's going on around the web as well. Um, there was an interesting post about uh, George Nakashima um uh, about trying to finish a project he had begun. Um, Diami, you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, uh, Ed Pernick over at Fine Woodworking asked us to to share the word about this. This is a project he's personally very passionate about. Apparently, he grew up near Nakashima's um, shop and didn't realize it until Nakashima had passed away and he was a bit older. Uh, but the project itself is that in 1986, George made what they call the Altar for Peace for the uh, Cathedral of St. John the Divine in New York City. And now uh, George's daughter, Mira Nakashima, is looking to make another Altar of Peace, this one for the Desmond Tutu Peace Center in Cape Town. And uh, there's a benefit concert at the... Nakashima Arts Building in New Hope, Pennsylvania. That's going to be held on Sunday, November 4th. 
and um, they're also looking for additional donations if you can't make the concert. And I think what they're looking to do is raise money to ship this giant peace altar from Pennsylvania to South Africa. I, I believe that's what the, the fundraising is for. But you can find out all about it if you go to the findwoodworking.com site, click on blogs, and then search for Nakashima. And it's dated September 26th is Ed's blog about it, but he goes into quite a bit of detail about what George was trying to do and now what his daughter Mira is doing in terms of making these altars for peace. You know, uh, you know, first of all, I mean, you know, George Nakashima, a woodworking genius, um, doesn't really get a lot of uh, the attention as others do. Um, but if you, if you get an opportunity to, to, to find the book uh, called soul of a tree, which is what he wrote about his woodworking. Wow. I mean, I'm just going to say, wow. I mean, as a woodworker, that is about as inspirational of a book as you can find. Um, you know, uh, Mr. Nakashima just, you know, just knew how to work with the wood, how to make it look its best, how to work with it in its natural form. Just a, just a brilliant mind when it came to woodworking. And, um, and definitely, I mean, anything that helps out the work that he further the work he started, um, by all means, it's, it's definitely worthwhile. I'm glad you mentioned that book, Tom, because I mean, I actually, I think I posted that a while back. I bought that book, I don't know, just a few months ago, and why I just then bought it, I'm not sure, but that is by far already one of my favorite books, and I mean, you can actually, it's it's kind of a coffee table layout book, mm -hmm. one of the best books ever, just such an inspirational, so you know, definitely and, anything and, and can the, help for that. Is just, and, and the incredible just, thing um, is my neighbor, just down the street, his dad was an architect and worked with Nakashima. And um and and he's got an autographed copy of Soul of a Tree and uh, you know when I saw it it was like whoa what a touchstone I mean just you know to go beyond just the book itself but to actually have the autographed copy from Mr Nakashima I mean that's that's just unreal I mean you know and just again if you, it's called Soul of a Tree by George Nakashima if you get a chance to read it definitely worthwhile anybody else see anything else online they're interested in talking about I saw anyway. a quick glimpse of a of a photograph from this place called Tom's Workbench. You heard of that? Really? It's just this tiny little blog. He doesn't ever post stuff, so. It's always dead over there. I don't know what's going on. Is the one about his wife? Uh, <laughs> his, his new love. My new love. Oh, that new love. Well, I've got an announcement to make about Tom's Workbench. We've got a new sponsor on board. Um, Laguna Tools has come on. Uh, and, and today I received one of their 14-inch uh, SUV bandsaws. Um, as part of the sponsorship agreement. I'm going to blog about it, but it was, um, you know, the old Delta saw did well, um, but it was definitely past its, you know, I had outgrown its abilities um, with a six inch resaw. This saw now is a 13 inch resaw, a three horsepower motor. Um, it's the kind of thing that's like, wow. And, you know, Laguna builds these things like tanks. Um, so I'm going to definitely, you know, I've got to I'll get a little bit more work to do, put the table on, put some other things on, but I'm looking forward to, you know, getting into the shop and building some stuff. As a matter of fact, I'm in the middle of building a hope chest for my niece. Um, I don't have daughters. So what I did with my nieces, my, my girl nieces, what I did was I'm building hope chests for them. What do you um, make for the boy nieces? Excuse me? What do you make for the boy nieces? I don't know what I make for the boy nieces yet. Pretty much. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to come up with a good project for them as well. But for the girl nieces, um, well, the nieces who are, yeah, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but, I'm, but I got a really nice piece of uh, maple I'm looking to uh, resaw um, and and put in as part of the inset panel. So having 13 inches of resaw capacity is really going to help things out. So, But it's interesting that we mentioned this stuff because today's topic is an extension of last week's topic, which is when we started to talk about setting up shop. And I've been spending the past two weeks talking and actually working on the two topics we really want to address today, power and lighting. 
And um, I've had to work with both this, these past weeks. But I'm going to start off with an interesting story. Back when I was becoming a serious woodworker, as opposed to what I am now, which is just a goof, um, I started with a, 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 with a Delta benchtop table saw. And this saw, you know, I thought this thing was awesome. It was 90 bucks at, uh, I think it was Lowe's or Home Depot, I can't remember. And um, I was pushing the board through, and something happened, and it tripped the circuit. But this time, I think I only had one circuit in my garage, and I think I had one outlet and, um, and, and just one light bulb. And um, they were on the same circuit. So as the uh, lights tripped off as the circuit broke, um, there's a spinning blade in front of me, and it's pitch black in the, in the uh, shop. And uh, so I'm going to start off with safety tip number one. If you do work in your shop, make sure your lights are on a different circuit than your tools. Just a little FYI, it's nothing more terrifying than trying to figure out, well, gosh, are my hands near this saw blade? Will I, will I get out of this okay? Will the saw blade stop before I freak out? It's funny you mentioned that, Tom, because that is wonderful advice. And I can say I'm actually in the exact same boat right now. Since I started renovating my shop last November, first thing I did was tear out all the electric. And um, I'm still running off of one circuit that's shared with the house. So on more than one occasion over the past year, I have popped the circuit, shut down whatever tool I was doing, killed the lights, and uh, you got to be careful there. What I learned is I need to have a flashlight available, and I've learned how to reach my circuit breaker, which thankfully is in the garage with my eyes closed. <laughs> Let's talk a little about uh, a lighting setup. Let's talk about lighting first. Um, there are schools of thoughts all over the place uh, as far as lighting. Some people say, you know, natural lighting only because you get that, uh, that, that raking light. It allows you to look at your work, at the imperfections, and that's the way that the old uh, masters worked, and they always had these flawless finishes. There are other people who, uh, who weigh in and say, well, gosh, you know, you need to be able to uh, – put more lights in that they have in a landing strip at like Kennedy airport, you know? So, so I guess, you know, maybe we'll start talking a little bit about light and uh, what, what your lighting situation in your shop. Uh, Chris, what, what do you've got? What do you, you got in your shop? That you just in up? my shop, okay. I cut myself off for a second. Um, okay. That's actually when I first, um, when I first started in my, you know, it's, it's a garage like everybody else's or like a couple of ours anyway. And when I first started, I actually had just two flush mount lights in the, in the shop and, you know, lighting's just terrible. Finally, probably about I don't know, maybe maybe a year ago or something like that, I finally came into my shop and and uh, put some fluorescents. And now I've got um, what I've got. Let's see, twelve fluorescent bulbs in here, so four foot. So I, I've got some serious lighting in my shop now. So it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, it's just such. It's so nice to be able to come into the shop and just just have plenty of light for it and. Uh, you know, I mean, we all tend to, to blog about things and, and, and all that. So it's it's nice to be able to get some good pictures and, and, and things like that. But just working in the shop alone, if you don't have good light, you know, before it was, it was you know, I would work mainly if I was doing stuff that I needed to see a lot, I'd have to pop the garage doors open during the daytime and get some mm -hmm. good light. And you couldn't do that at night. You couldn't do it at night. So a lot of times I was working at night, you 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 were moving everything around in the shop trying to face where, where you had just a little bit of light. So uh, I, I can't tell you how much I love having those those fluorescent bulbs in here now. You know, Diami, what, what about your uh, – now I know you're relaying the well, shop out completely. I mean, what's what's your situation there? Well, overall, I come down decidedly on the Kennedy Airport side of the argument. Um, I want to be blinded when I turn on the lights. Uh, right now – That was because, a great song by Springsteen, just so you know. <laughs> right now, um, I actually have two – 300 watt 
equivalent CFLs in the shop. And it's just because I had one like little ceramic CFL fixture in the middle of the, in the middle of the ceiling. And then from there I branched it off and I have one light just hanging in the back and one in the middle. It's bad, but it's reasonably bright because it's a small shop. So just the two, the two bulbs, it's, it's, it's passable. I'll put it that way. I, I typically don't need to break out an additional light to see things. Uh, but that being said, soon as I'm put my wall back together, I've got four, four foot fluorescent fixtures up in the attic from my old shop, which I guess mm-hmm. will give me eight individual bulbs. And that'll get hung on the ceiling soon as I get the wall together. Cause I have them and that'll be cheap and quick. Ultimately I'll, I'll do some research and figure out what's going to be the best light for the space. But personally, I think all that fine tuning in terms of what the color of the light is, I don't even care what the color of the light is. I know that might be heresy to some people, but bright is better. And at some point I think that's the most important thing from there. You fine tune, get the right color of light, the right type of bulb, blah, blah, blah. But brighter is better. And if you just go that simple, you're going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, if you could pump that light in now, I mean, there's some calculations out there. I've heard there's so many Watts of power, or Watts of lighting per square foot. You know, like you said, the, I mean, if you get more out there, it's better off for you. Nick, in your shop, you're in a basement, unlike a garage, like the other three of us. Um, what about headspace with you? And how's your lighting situation? Well, that's, that's, I was going to start out by saying my old shop, which is, it's attached to the new shop, but I, I stand a, a whopping five foot six. And when I stood up in my, in my old shop, I had my head against the floor joists in the old part of the basement. So when I built this new addition on the house and, and dug extra deep so I could get full depth, or almost full depth for the workshop mm-hmm. below the, the hundred year flood line, but don't tell the insurance people. Shh. <clears throat> uh, you know, I did it for one so I could get lights that were higher than my head. In the old shop, I had one two-foot under cabinet fluorescent light and two incandescents for a 30-foot span. So it was it was pretty dark. Yeah. Uh, cozy, but dark. Uh, there wasn't a lot of workspace either. So, you know, it, it was all right. When I built the new shop, I put in 10 four-foot fluorescent strips. But besides that, I don't really enjoy working under the fluorescence as much as, as having warmer task-specific lights. So okay. all around the shop, I have, you know, desk lamps and, and, and work lamps, stuff that I just clip to the ceiling instead of clipping to the bench. So they're up out of the way, but I can position them wherever I, I want. I can have a couple of, of bright lights. I can, on the on the, the uh, desk lamps with the long uh, articulating arms, I can put those and, and set them down low so I can still get that raking light for, you know, when I'm planning a final finish or whatever. But I've got uh, at least half a dozen of those. And, and recently the big upgrade to those was going to LED bulbs. Now they cost mm. a fortune but they're rated for upwards of 50,000 hours. If I don't break them, which I probably will, th- these are the last bulbs I'm going to need in the shop. So I'm slowly converting as, as my, my old CFLs and, and incandescents burn out. I bite the bullet. I pay the extra 30 bucks or whatever it is to get a, a good high-lumen LED in a warm color, a war, you know, warm color temperature, you know, for, for more, I guess, natural room light. Than the, the the nasty looking fluorescent lining. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, the there's a good. Great. Yeah, I mean, there's a good point though. I mean, you you said they're expensive now, but I mean, just think a year or two from now, as they're in bigger production, more uh, more more active production, the prices are going to start coming down on those. Um, so as uh, you know, we're looking at these lights. You buy them once every, you know, when you burn for fifty thousand hours. There's never any problem with them. So uh, so I guess as things move along, 
we're, we're going to start seeing those prices come down and it's going to be easier to find them. But you still, those four foot tubes, the fluorescence, throw a lot more light or it's over a wider area. It's not just one bulb, it's, it's a wider area along the tube. Nick had mentioned finding high-lumen LEDs. At this point, the LEDs, they're starting to be available in high-lumen outputs, but for the most part, the LEDs, you're, you're giving up lumens to switch to LEDs. and to, Just to get back to brightness, it's all about lumens. So, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking you know, LEDs, and, and obviously incandescent lamps are going the way of the dinosaur and the dodo bird. Um, what about, I mean, you know, Fluorescents are cheap. There seem to be the the, the, the the go-to option. You know, we've got the compact fluorescence and the screw-in kind of uh, uh, applications along with LEDs. I mean, do you think, I mean, the future of fluorescent lights is going to be there for a good long time? I mean, is it just that, that they're so appropriate for, well, they're so applicable to lighting up larger areas? I don't I, think so. Myself, I, I think LEDs are going to be the, the, the future. As, as the price comes down, like you mentioned, as the price comes down, you're going to find drop-in replacements for these LED, you know, the long, broad spectrum and broad cast. LED. Yeah, the 48 inches, yeah. Yeah, stuff that'll cover an equivalent area and an equivalent brightness as the, the chips become, you know, as the diodes become more inexpensive, I think they're really going to just take over everything just for, for the fact that they're so efficient. Do you have me? you to say something? I think there's no doubt that LEDs are the future, but I personally, I don't see them replacing fluorescence in the near term. When you think about the average person who's going to go down and buy a cheap four-foot fluorescent fixture to put in a basement or a shop or something like that, I don't, I've yet to see LEDs that are easily applicable to that situation. And what you can do with LEDs to cover that situation is going to cost five, six times as much. Mm -hmm. I'm not even necessarily opposed to that. I mean, I've got I've been buying exclusively LEDs in my house for about 18 months as CFLs break, like I think Nick is doing. So I think that's the way to go. But I'm not going to outfit my shop with LEDs, at least not today, because what I can do in to, to go for the equivalent lumens and light spreading of fluorescence, I've got to think it's you know a few hundred dollars versus thousands of dollars, the difference between uh, fluorescence and LEDs today. Today, and for the for, yeah. for the for the next few years, you know, in five years, it's a completely different discussion. And there's no doubt that LEDs are the future. I just think the future is a couple of years off in terms of it being yeah. all LEDs. No, I agree. The timeline the timeline's probably in the five to ten year range before we see the the fluorescence out of favor. I'm still shocked to see people complain about that they can't get incandescence anymore. You know, it's a funny thing is it's you know a lot of people are complaining about the uh, the dimming dimmability. Um, you know, obviously not so much in a shop, but in a in a home in a household situation. Um, you know, the incandescence you screwed them in, you're able to dim them. You know, the compact fluorescence, it's hit or miss. You, you can, you maybe you can't. You get halogens, you can dim. Um, the LEDs are now dimmable, but it's you know people you know it, it, it was so cheap. You buy that right. bulb and, you know, it burns out in three months, but, you know, that's three months later. So people tend to think in the short term. James James from right down the street from me uh, tweets that um, a good low-cost option for increasing the lighting or the, I guess the, the, the effectiveness of what lights you have in your shop is to just repaint the walls. Well, mm-hmm. if I could talk about that, I want, to, I want to mention two examples of lighting, not in my own shop, but that I'm familiar with, is to talk about that white my, my dad's shop is in a basement shop, and what he actually did is he took – he set hi-hats in between the rafters, and I, I don't know what he's got in them, probably halogen floodlights, but he's got hi-hats set up there for the clearance because he has got low ceilings. And then what he actually did is he took white Tyvek house wrap and stapled it to the bottom of every rafter. So the ceiling is bright white, and he just cut the hi-hats into that. 
and the reflectivity of that white, to, it was a very cheap, quick way to clean up the ceiling. Like I can see Nick's exposed rafters above his head. That's what my dad had. And in the course of a day, we covered the whole thing in white Tyvek. It really did brighten up the space. Um, and then the other thing that Nick touched on was the task light, those desks, lamps with the arms. Um, Carrie Holtman has one that she just recently built a, a rig for so it doesn't fit in a dog hole. But all you need to do is rip the base off and it ends up with this little post at the bottom and you can stick that in a dog hole on your bench hmm. and it's really controllable, aimable light for raking situations and other detailed operations. I actually built a, a custom dog to fit in my dog hole, which essentially, you know, it's a three-quarter inch yeah. peg with a with a three-eighths inch hole, hole in the middle to so fit the, that post. So, yeah, I can do the same thing. Yeah. It's a well, she's, got, she's got all these circles around her po her dog holes because the peg is too small, so, like, the bottom of the of the mechanism hits the the bench, and as you twist it, it scratches into the bench. Yeah. But she made some track along the back of her bench now that it locks into the track, and she can slide it back and forth. She's a clever girl. She, that she is. Yeah. She's like James Bond, except the female version. Inspector now, uh, Gadget. Inspector Gadget. <laughs> Inspectress Gadget, I guess. Um, okay, so so lighting. Um, you know, here's another question we brought up: light temperature. Um, as you can see in my shop, I've got a mix of you know daylight and warm white and all this other business. I mean, what what do you? I mean, what's what's the? I guess what's the common theory behind you know lighting temperature? I mean, you, are you looking for daylight? I mean, does that give you the best look? No. I'll defer to somebody else because I'm gonna, I don't think I'm the accepted wisdom here. But well, what's your wisdom? Well, personally, I prefer higher Kelvin temperatures. I want like 6,000 degree light. I like the cold blue light as opposed to the warm natural temperatures. I, that might not be natural. It might be my colors are a little off when I'm done. I don't care. I like the cold light. So um, for, my own, for my own sake, when I get around to buying nice bulbs, I'm going to go for 6,000 K, 8,000 K bulbs because I want them to be the, the cold blue light. I don't like warm light, but that's me. I, I don't actually know that have a mix. I have a mix, and especially my task my task light. So, uh, you know, depending on what I'm doing, I might grab one or the other. Um, and you know, I don't. I, I find the 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 whiter. The you know what most fluorescents are. You know the 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 higher Kelvin temperature, bright whites, a little depressing to spend the whole day in. But you know, you're in a wood shop. What could be depressing? I'm in the basement. <laughs> it's bright. <laughs> Personally, I, I personally I find that I like the I like the the, the, the cold you know light I, I like that bright fluorescent you know if I'm in the house and I'm sitting around reading a book and listening to you know listening to some music yeah I want to turn the lights down low and and kind of and enjoy some uh, just kind of that warm light stuff but if I'm in the shop I want to see I want to see every detail of what I'm doing ambience isn't you know. So I, I like to be able to see, so I like that bright fluorescent in them. So, I mean, you know, but do you think that changes the way things look? I mean, obviously, you know, you look at, um, you go to one of those displays in one of the home improvement centers, and they show the piece of wood under different temperature lights, and things look wildly different. I mean, obviously, wood eventually is just going to be wood. I mean, you can move it to different situations. It's going to look different in sunlight versus under artificial light versus under fluorescent. I think that depends anywhere. on, no, I, I think that depends on, on, on what you're doing. I mean, if it, you know, I, I hate to say it, but you know, finishing is just and doing collars and stuff. That's not really, you know, I 
I'm more into joinery and how things <laughs> join together, and, and, and it doesn't really matter the color. I mean, I, I rarely use stain or anything on something. So I'm pretty much taking a piece of wood, the natural color of it, and, and building something with it and joining it together. So it doesn't. it's kind of irrelevant for me. I mean, you know, once I get it finished and, you know, I, I can take it and see some blemishes and stuff like that. But, you know, it, it's more for joinery and type, type stuff like that. So really the more light that I've got, the more details and the more, you know, really in there I can see with it. And that's what I want. I would agree with that. I think that the biggest thing is to be consistent. Do all of your finishing under the same light. I, personally, I'm not so into finish that the fact that it looks slightly different under this this bright fluorescent light than it will under natural light in a living room. It, I don't care. I, I, maybe I should, but I don't. It's um, wood. It, yeah. So as long as I do all the finishing under the same light or close to the same light conditions, that that's going to mean the finish comes out consistent. That's that's the important thing. It needs to be consistent. You know, if you're matching something, bring what you're matching into the same light as you're finishing under. That's going to be important. And another but, thing is, is if you're finishing for somebody, and it, it, you know, it's helpful to know where the final destination of the piece might be. If it's going to be, uh, you know, in a kitchen where it's, you know, they have a lot of of cool light versus in their family room by the fireplace where it's going to see a lot of more amber tones, you know, take that into consideration. One piece I, I, I finished part of, the refinished part of, um, looked fantastic under the, the cool white light. When we got it back to the, the customer's house in the warm light, the tones didn't look the same. The, the old finish and the new finish didn't look the same, even though they had looked the same under the cool white. So, you know, know, your, know where it's going to is, you know, that's something you want to consider. Yeah, ultimately that destination yeah. is where it's going to it's going to matter the most. Yeah. Now, uh, now let's shift gears a little bit. We talk light, and we talk. You know, you got to have the light in the shop. Obviously, see clearly. Let's talk a little bit about the power situation. Um, you know, a lot of people when they begin, they might be in their garage in their basement with a limited number of uh, circuits. Um, how many dedicated circuits are in your shop? I mean, you know, I just uh, had a two twenty run for the new bandsaw. Um, it's over this shoulder. But uh, a few years ago, I had a uh, I had an electrician who ran two dedicated circuits up in the ceiling, so I've got um so I've got some pull down extension cords and things like that, and I branched off that and put a uh, light box uh, power box right back here near this uh, where I'm going to put my router table and my drill press. Um, what about you guys? What what kind of situation you have uh, power wise in your in your shops? Diama, you have a picture up. I'll go then. Yeah, that's my wiring diagram. I have, like, well, right now, like I said, I'm sharing one 15-amp circuit with the hallway in the house. So mm -hmm. I'm not going to go with what I have. I'm going to go with what's in the wall. And what I have wired, and I actually met with my electrician yesterday to make the 220 connections. I should have them connected finally in about a week and a half, two weeks. Um, what I'm going to have when this is done is I'll have four 220 circuits providing me eight boxes and three 110 circuits providing me 17 boxes. And wow. those 17 110 circuits are all along the east wall because this, the south wall and the west wall are phases, probably phase three of the shop renovation. So I've got okay. wires run there, but they're just dead-ended pigtailed so that I haven't gotten around to that. Because I'm firmly of the opinion that if you're setting a room up, be it any room, there's no such thing as too many outlets. Outlets are cheap. Um, 
And even when I've done like bedrooms, I put in a lot of outlets. But specifically in the shop, what I've done is I took the three outlets, I, the three circuits I had, and I've run them through the wall. And I've got uh, I've got outlets at the floor, at a mid level where it'll be above a countertop, and I've got occasional outlets up near the ceiling for um, for my ambient air cleaner and things like that. So I've c tried to strategically place outlets, and as they go along the wall. I haven't just made one circuit this end of the wall and one circuit the other end of the wall. Each circuit is every third outlet. So um, I don't want to – if I plug multiple things in, the goal is to have them on different circuits. So all three circuits will run all the way around, and I'm going to go so far as to color code the outlet plates so that I can easily tell if I'm plugging into the same circuit or not. And I, I, my goal is that I'm never, never popping breakers once it's done being wired. Diami, that that's like scratch and sniff over there. I'm telling you, seriously, all those colors, it's like scratch and sniff. Also, course, note well, that he's he's never going to finish that shot. Of course, it'll. That's be, why uh, it's the penultimate shot. I'll be I'll be. That five, just implies there's old. another one after. <laughs> the penultimate workshop. Yeah, Chris, what's your power situation like? <laughs> um, same thing about power. You know, when I when I started in here, I had you know one 15 amp circuit one dual receptacle, and I kicked that thing all the time. Um, so I, I did upgrade it, um, put a couple more circuits in here, um, added a couple of uh, dual receptacles to it, and uh, it's not perfect. I mean, you know, I, I do have much more than I did. I do have a couple of 20s. Um, I still got that 115 amp, um, you know, but, but it's doable. But, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, you know, like with with Diami there, putting putting all those in, you could never have enough. I mean, no. you know, when when I had one, it was terrible. I mean, it was that one fifteen amp. If if especially in the winter time is when it when I noticed that it really killed me because you know it, it, Atlanta it still gets cold in winter time. So you know, it, like sorry, Florida. It, 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 it may not be New York, but it still gets cold in the wintertime. And so, you know, I can do with, with one little electric heater. But the problem is, is when I'm, when I'm putting this one electric heater in there and then trying to run a table saw or something, it's just not happening. I mean, no. it's going to no. kick. So, so every time I was going to – right, every time I'd have to go turn off the, the heater before I turn the table saw on or, or, or anything like that. So um, – so it was for for me. I think having a couple of those twenties in there and that fifteen, I get by, you know. Um, but I could definitely always use more. There's there's always room for more. Nick, you, right. you purposely built this this basement addition for um, for your shop. I mean, what, what what kind of planning went into the uh, into the power? Well, it was pretty blank slate when I got in here. So <clears throat> before I moved anything in, I you know I spent uh, a few days just wiring, um, running. Um, you know, conduit around. It's all concrete walls around me, so you have to have exposed wiring or or use the ceiling space. And I did both. So I've got the I've got the lighting on one separate circuit. I've got probably half a dozen outlets in the ceiling for you know handheld power tools or over benches or what have you. And then I've got a bunch of uh, you know four gang boxes every three feet or so around the shop just in a conduit that runs all the way across. And, and kind of like Diami did, I ran several several circuits. lines, several circuits, mm -hmm. several lines through each one so that not every box is fed by the same circuit. So I've got probably three or four circuits that serve the perimeter of the room. 
and then one two twenty for the for the table saw, um, yeah. which I'm gonna need to upgrade when I get up to my my big boy bandsaw. The big boy bandsaw. Yeah. Um, now, I mean, even you know, even dedicated you know, uh, dyed in the wall hand tool users. I mean, even if you're just perking coffee in your shop, I mean, you know, eventually you still have to have that lighting, that that power and that lighting in there. So even if you don't think you're going to need it, even if you think you're just going to rip every board by hand, unless you plan on doing it by you know by a kerosene lamp, you're probably going to want to have some some additional you know uh, capacity in the shop, additional lighting in the shop. So it's amazing how quickly they get all your outlets get filled up. Incredible. Whether you're charging your phone or listening to the radio or you know plugging in the heater or whatever whatever it's going to be, they, it it all adds up. And and funny you should mention the coffee maker. I realized I ended my run about five feet short of where the new sink is. Oh. <laughs> and the only thing that's lacking now in my shop is a coffee maker. Well, you know, time but I don't have to any, look for one. I don't have any outlets down there. You so gotta I'm find have, one, I'm man. Have to extend the you. run. Just punch out the side and go out there and, and extend that. You know, put one in there and you're good to go. Yeah. Um. You know, again, so you know, it's the kind of thing where you gotta, you know, you gotta plan ahead. I mean, you know, calling an electrician is expensive, but if you're gonna get that power, if you're gonna get that power into that shop, uh, good to have a good plan. Uh, definitely want to have that available, so uh, so you don't waste your time or your money. Um, and that is going to about wrap it up for this week's show. Um, I am Tom. I have, you know, of Tom'sWorkbench.com, and you can find me at, at Tom's Workbench on Twitter. Uh, Chris, where can people find you? Um, of course, I'm Chris Atkins. I'm at HighRockWoodworking.com, or you can find me on Twitter at HighRockWW. And Chris, um, I forgot to mention, my sink, man. <laughs> oh, I've got my uh, short sleeves on. You got the no short sleeves, sleeves on. on. You better enjoy the enjoy the warm temperatures by cancer. It's getting that's, cold soon. That's right. Uh, Diami, where, where where can we find you? Uh, I blog try to once a week at penultimatewoodshop.com. Lovely. I know uh, once a week it's a hobby. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I'm constantly on the twitters at Diami Plotke. That's D Y A M I P L O T K E. Nick. Tom. Nick. Bubala, where can we find you? I'm at mansfieldfinefurniture.com, on Twitter at, at mansfinefurn, F-U-R-N, uh, on Google+, on Facebook, on my chair, on my couch, on the plane tomorrow to WIA in Pasadena. Up on the roof, everything. You've got it all going you on. Might, you might find me at LAX around about lunchtime tomorrow. So definitely, you know, you what you need to do is you need to go see if they're going to put your feet in concrete over at uh, over at Hollywood Walk of Fame. You need to see if you can do that. Get yourself a scar out there. We, we, we may put Nick in concrete and throw him in the in the ocean. Oh wait, did I say that? Sorry, no, Nick. no, no, no. Come on, rookies, what are you doing? And Diami, if people want to find out more about the Modern Woodworkers Association, what can they do? They can go to modernwoodworkersassociation.com. There they'll find all sorts of information about us, our latest happenings, how to join local chapters, everything they could ever imagine about Modern Woodworkers Association. They could also follow us on Twitter, and that's at MWA underscore national. Circle us on Google+, watch us on YouTube, follow us on Facebook with Nick posts, and everything like that. And two important things. First of all, I don't know if you heard recently in the news, but there's a monkey on the loose in St. Petersburg, which is about five miles from my house. And no, it wasn't Iggy, my train shop monkey. And number two, 
If you're still hanging out after the Modern Woodworkers Association, why don't you join the people over at Woodshack, which is going to be taking place on Twitter. For everyone who's here tonight, for us enjoying our time in our brightly lit and well-powered shops, I'm resident shop monkey Tom Iavino wishing you happy sawdust. Take care, everybody. Hey, have fun at WIA West. Yeah, have a hookah. Got it.